Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Friday edition of BFT Live. Peter King, Mike Florio here with you on the brink of week eight. Week eight began on Thursday night with the Atlanta Falcons picking up their second win of the season over the Carolina Panthers. Peter, not that long ago, Panthers looked like a contender. Now not. Maybe the Falcons can pull back into it. We'll be talking about that and plenty more over the next two hours. Before any of that, I say to you, good morning. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Doing great, doing great, and as always, this is the quick rundown of where we are, and hello to everyone who's watching either on Peacock, listening on Sirius XM 211, watching the re-air on NBCSN at 9 Eastern, maybe Sky Sports NFL, 7 o'clock UK Ireland time, or listening via podcast whenever and wherever you damn well please. All right, so here we go, Panthers. I thought they were going to win last night. I always get a little salty on Friday when I get the first game of the week wrong. I'm 0 for 1 going into the bulk of the schedule. The Panthers were better than I thought they were going to be all year long. They've shown me something. They've shown me in the rest of the league how to properly rebuild. But they ran into it last night with a Falcons team that, frankly, when you look at the Falcons and how they've performed this year, they've done plenty of Falcons things, Peter. They didn't last night. They held their lead late, which was impressive. But I look at what they've done, where they've been. They should have five wins this year. And I think anytime they have a game that goes well, they invite the incessant criticism of why the hell didn't you do that? The other games where you held a lead, but you fell apart. Last night, good news, they didn't. Well, they got some help from Teddy Bridgewater late, obviously. Mike, this was setting up to be exactly what the Atlanta Falcons season had been. You know, I do not have any understanding. You know, I mean, you know, Kevin Cash and Raheem Morris had a lot in common with decisions they made. Uh, Cash late, Raheem Morris early. Why in the world, after you go for it on fourth and five, four days ago uh, at the 13-yard line, do you at the three-yard line, when it's fourth and six inches, kick the field goal? I mean, you know, what... What is it? Which what do you what are you the daring guy or the ridiculously safe guy? And then you know later obviously when Koo misses the extra point to keep it a one score game at the end all I could say was they're setting this up to be another ridiculous game that they lost that they never should have lost. But uh, Teddy Bridgewater's late interception uh, basically helped them from snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Yeah, and that whole when to go for it on fourth down, when not to go for it on fourth down, I understand that analytics has taken on greater significance than ever, but I don't need a board to tell me I'm a one-win team. I've got a great drive going. I'm inside the five. It's fourth and short. 
Of course I'm going for it. What the hell else do I have to lose? I'm going for it in that spot. If I don't get it, the other team gets the ball for the first time that night inside their own five. Let's go play defense and get the ball back, hopefully with a short field. And Peter, to flip it around, and it was a comical moment last night where the Panthers had fourth and short in the vicinity of the 50, maybe just on the other side of the 50, and they sent out the punt team, and Troy Aikman and Joe Buck were saying, well, you know, the analytics would say this is a spot where you go for it, and then lo and behold, in comes the offense, and they go for it, and it didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. And, and see, that's the thing. It's this complicated stew of factors ultimately driven by how do you feel about the play that's available that night with your offense against their defense? Do you think it will work? Whatever the charts say, do you think that play will work? Because the chart says you should do it if you've got 10,000 different times to do it, and over the long haul, it's going to work out in your favor. But in that moment, it didn't work. So that, that's, that's where the rubber meets the road on all of this because most coaches don't have the luxury of running this model 10,000 times and realizing that, yes, a slim percentage of times means they should do it every time Sometimes you just shouldn't do it. You know, Mike, I was reminded when you were talking of the New England-Atlanta Super Bowl when after the game, Josh McDaniels told me because that was the game where they had to make a couple of two-point plays to send the game to overtime. And then Josh McDaniels liked his two-point plays so much that week with James White particularly. He liked his two-point plays so much that he ran one of the two-point plays to win the Super Bowl. And, and, so, and it goes to knowing your personnel. What do you have? Now, did Matt Rule have second thought because he said, well, you know, I don't really trust Mike Davis to get, I think that was two yards, by the way, at, at, when, it, when it was fourth down. But did he trust Mike Davis to do it? Or did he even trust Teddy Bridgewater uh, you know, to roll out and throw it to an inexperienced tight end or somewhere in the intermediate part of the field, whatever. But my point is you have to know who you have and who you like. And that's why when, when the Falcons kicked the field goal on fourth and inches from the three-yard line, when you have Todd Gurley, Julio Jones, uh, and you've got great skill players, I just, you know, I mean, sometimes you just have to shake your head. That's all. Julio Jones had a great night last night, by the way. Seven catches, 137 yards. Matches Randy Moss all time for games of 125 yards or more. Matt Ryan played extremely well, although no touchdown passes and one interception. He completed 21 of 30 passes. Todd Gurley, 18 carries, 46 yards. He had a touchdown, a touchdown that he was supposed to score. He did have a moment, though, late in the game that gave the Panthers – their chance to try to tie it up. Now, it, it, it wasn't going to end the game if he'd stayed in bounds. It just would have given the Panthers less time. The Falcons could have bled another 40 seconds off the clock. It would have been closer to the two-minute warning when the Panthers started the drive from inside their own five because there was a questionable fair catch on the punt that ensued. But when you run a toss play toward the sideline, it's hard to dump on Todd Gurley not staying in bounds. If you want to be sure that the clock is going to keep running, Peter, you just run it up the middle in that spot. I mean, I do think it's, I think it's easy to dump on Todd Gurley. I don't care what the call is. Lie down on the field when you're five yards from the boundary. That's all there is to it. You've got to know what to do in that situation. And the same way that, uh, that Gurley didn't do the right thing on Sunday he didn't do the right thing on Thursday either. And even without those flaws and questionable things that occurred, the Falcons did find a way. Wired like they like they do plenty of like, hey, they're hey, they're dominating. Falcons are looking good. Here, the Falcons are looking good. And then something happens to cause it all to fall apart. Last night was one of the times where it didn't fall apart. 36 and a half minute time of possession for the Atlanta Falcons. 401 total yards, nearly 100 more than the Panthers. There was that moment where Teddy Bridgewater exited the game. The hit from Charles Harris that, that got Harris ejected, brought Philip Walker, the XFL phenom, onto the field for a while last night before Teddy was able to come back in. You know, that's two of those we've seen in five days. And then at a time when there's an obsession to protect quarterbacks, we, we still see 
and and you know when it's 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 weird when it's near the sideline. That's when defensive players get discombobulated. We have not seen defensive players get discombobulated with these plays in the middle of the field. We've seen two illegal hits, hits that resulted in ejection just in the past few days. And, you know, Mike, I think one of the things that is going to get looked at by the competition committee, by the way, in the offseason is, and, you know, Patrick Mahomes started to make it famous in the AFC championship game last year against Tennessee when he ran toward the sidelines and everybody said, well, you know, he's going to get out of bounds. And at the last possible second, he veered upfield and scored a touchdown. And everybody said, including me, man, brilliant play. And yes, it was a brilliant play. But I believe that a lot of times defensive players who have momentum to a ball carrier whether it be a quarterback or otherwise, right at the boundary. And the guy steps out of bounds, and all of a sudden, the first reaction of the side judge or the line judge is to pull out the flag and throw it. We see it all the time. And I'm not saying I mind that, Mike. But what I am saying is that, you know, if it is the clear intention of the quarterback to be sprinting for the boundary, and then at the last possible second, he puts his foot in the ground and goes upfield, well, I, I mean, if you're a defensive player, what, do you, what exactly are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to stop your momentum and allow the quarterback then or the running back, whatever, to go upfield? And I think you're going to see the competition committee ask, maybe there's nothing you can do about this, but I do think that there are some unfair burdens on the defense now that that play is becoming more and more popular. Well, if nothing else, a point of emphasis that when there is contact with a quarterback who becomes a runner, not while he's behind the line of scrimmage in a passing right. posture, but when he chooses to forfeit those protections and become a running back, that extra bubble that the officials want to put around him needs to go away. It just needs to go. It's unfair to everyone. And the moment for me, notwithstanding the times we've seen quarterbacks do the okey-doke at the sideline and keep running because the defensive players pull up. I remember noticing it for the first time last year, week one, when Matt Ryan did it to the Vikings. He was doing the slow jog toward the sideline. The Vikings pull up, and he darts forward for 10 more yards. When you see Lamar Jackson and you hear Lamar Jackson mic'd up saying that he flopped and picked up 15 extra yards, that's when the NFL does need to take notice of this, Peter, because it does become an integrity of the game question if you have quarterbacks who are deliberately and intentionally taking a dive and picking up 15 yards in the process. And it's funny, there was a moment last night. It didn't get mentioned during the broadcast. All we knew is there was a flag that was thrown and then the flag was picked up. But Alex Mack tried to flop, and it was an all-timer, and I was disappointed we didn't get a few replays <laughs> of it. There was just a little mild shove by a Carolina defensive player, and, and Mack did the Ric Flair face plant. It was, it was a thing of beauty, and it almost drew the 15 yards. But, you know, if we are going to have those kinds of efforts, maybe, and we've seen it in other sports, where you get penalized for play acting, for, for flopping. I don't know how the NFL needs to solve this, but we are crossing over into a boundary where we've got guys who think there's a benefit in acting like they got an illegal hit when maybe they didn't. And it, it all goes into this broader bucket of how do you deal with guys who are near the boundary, especially when it's quarterbacks? Well, Mike, I, I, got, I have a solution for this. You know, the solution is Sean Hockley. I think he was the referee last night. The solution is Sean Hockley going up to Alex Mack after he sees something like that and said, Alex, if you do that again, I'm calling you for 15 yards. Or if you do that again, I'm going to do X. You know, I'm going to eject you, whatever it is. You know, there's enough violence in this game without you faking more of it. So, and I did, I, uh, to be but, honest, but, but Mike, why not, why not throw the flag? Why, don't know. why not throw the, why not throw the flag when they do it? That's the thing. Why not because throw the flag you don't when throw you the see the guy flopped? Many times, maybe you do. And if you do, then that's fine with me. But at the very least, you have to tell the flopper that there are going to be consequences if I see you do that again. Ref, ref, you know, officials all the time talk to players on the field. I remember 
a few years ago when I did the, the series on a week in the life of the officiating crew and I had Gene Steratore's crew and I was able, because you can't talk to officials for the most part, and I was able to talk to every official on their crew, spend a day with five of them during the week. And the one thing that I walked away with knowing that I know differently now is how much officials talk to players about, hey, listen, I'm going to throw on you if you do that, if I see that one more time. Or you need to get on the line of scrimmage. You're too far back. They tell tackles that all the time when they are fanned out a yard and a half behind the center, you know. And so they they give them a little bit of warning. And they sometimes will go tell the coaches, hey, coach, listen, if your tackle doesn't get on the line of scrimmage on the next play, I'm throwing for illegal formation. And so that is the kind of thing that officials do. And quite honestly, that the NFL wants them to do because for the most part, the NFL doesn't want a flag fest. The Atlanta Falcons have made it to two and six through eight games. They were six and two to close out the final eight games of last season. Here's Matt Ryan, team quarterback and 2016 NFL MVP, talking about what last night's victory could mean down the stretch. We've been in every game we played this year, you know, and, and so uh, we've had some crazy losses you know, just to, to be frank. And, and I really believe that we've got the, you know, caliber of team to go be in every game where we're going to play the rest of the season. And, and why can't we win them all? You know, that's, that's the mindset that I have. I, I, I love these Zoom video conferences, the different looks. I, I, I felt like he should be letting the people in the back know my order that I want a burger and fries and a milkshake and just the way the everything everything about it it's everyone is different there's snowflakes here's the thing about the Atlanta Falcons and this is the point where they need to get the bingo cards ready because I'm taking a look at the Atlanta Falcons upcoming schedule and unfortunately for them they've already exhausted their chances to pile up victories there's bingo oh bingo we've got we've got a mini buy and then the Broncos. Okay, hey, maybe we can get to three and six through nine. Then comes the real bye week, and they're going to need it because, Peter, over the final seven games, they play the Saints twice. They play the Bucks twice and the Chiefs and the Chargers, who are pretty damn good. Oh, and the Raiders get thrown in there. My goodness, all the squandered opportunities earlier in the season. And now they are not, it is the meat grinder down the stretch. Are you kidding me? Saints twice from week 11 on, Bucks twice from week 11 on. Who gets, who, who ends up with a better record in this division, the Falcons or the Panthers? The Panthers are now three and four. The amazing thing about that schedule, Mike, is that they play the Bucks twice in two weeks to end the season, and they play the Saints twice in two weeks in 15 days, okay? So in the span of 15 days, they come out of their bye and play the Saints twice. And then in the span of 15 days, they end the season with the Bucks. And so, you know, Raheem Morris, uh, you know, when he took the job, everybody was saying, well, you know, he's got 11 games now. He can, or 12 games, whatever it was. He can, you know, he can impress his bosses and everything. And and I just looked at the schedule that day and I said, man, he better impress him before the bye. <laughs> because after the bye, it's going to be really ugly. We'll see. You know, Atlanta's the type of team, Mike, that they're going to win one of those games. They're such a strange, strange group. But if their offensive unit is healthy, if Calvin Ridley is not really hurt bad and he's able to come back, they're going to win one of those games. That's just because they're the Falcons. One of those games, they're going to put up 35. That's And their defense will win a game at the edge of the cliff in the fourth quarter. But there will be moments, I don't think they're going to win a lot of those games. There will be moments where the folks who run the excellent Falcons Twitter page will be able to use the gift that was posted last night from the Princess Bride, Prince Humperdinck. Skip the <laughs> because, yeah. And I, I love that account. I love that they're so self-aware. There was a game recently where I think it was the Cardinals-Cowboys... 11 days ago, Cardinals up 28-3, and the Falcons posted, we know, we know. We, yeah. we get it, 28-3. So, 
All right, let's take a break. The most prominent player in college football and one of the best draft prospects, maybe since Andrew Luck, has tested positive for COVID-19. What it all means for Trevor Lawrence, especially with a huge game against Notre Dame looming in just eight days. More PFT Live on this Friday. Right after this. Okay, so uh, Trevor Lawrence announcing last night after the team announced it, after reports emerged that he's tested positive for COVID-19. The team says he has mild symptoms. Lawrence says he has relatively mild symptoms. I don't know the difference between the two. The bottom line is he's got symptoms. He's out for a minimum of 10 days, according to ACC rules, which track current CDC guidelines. Now, this is where it gets a little vague, a little fuzzy, and the potential is there for it to get creative from Clemson's standpoint as it relates to a counting of days standpoint, Peter, because reportedly, and this comes from Pat Forty of SI.com, the sample that tested positive was collected Wednesday morning. So 10 days from that is Saturday morning, the morning of the game against Notre Dame next weekend. Obviously, he won't play this week against Boston College. They don't need him against Boston College. They need him against Notre Dame. I saw a tweet from Adam Schefter last night that the symptoms may have started before he gave the sample. And by CDC guidelines, the 10-day clock starts to run from when you started to have symptoms. So fuzzy math, creative accounting, whatever the case may be. Hey, when did you first have symptoms? And once you understand how the counting works, well, I had the symptoms. Uh, you know, at first I really wasn't feeling like myself, let's say two weeks ago. I, I just, the whole thing invites skepticism and scrutiny because the NCAA, by all appearances, has gone AWOL on this. The conferences aren't going to do anything that are going to hurt the broader interests of the schools. The schools are going to do what they want to do, and the kids ultimately want to play. So it's easy to justify doing whatever it takes to get him back on the field. As long as he doesn't have a fever or some other obvious symptom, I'd be stunned if he's not on the field next Saturday. Mike, in my column on Monday, I highlighted a story from the New York Times about Nick Saban's positive COVID test and what exactly happened after he tested positive. And... As you recall, Nick Saban had to test negative three times, three consecutive days before he was allowed to coach on the sidelines uh, in that Saturday night's game, you know, when they were going to play Georgia, okay? So it was going to be really close. He was going to have to test on Saturday morning. And so what did Alabama do? Alabama took the test tube with his swab and with his nasal mucus, whatever that's called, okay? His effluence. And they took the <laughs> test tube. They put the test tube funny about on a private jet. And the private jet flew to Mobile, Alabama, where the test was examined and when it, where it was determined that, uh, you know, after however long it... I don't know whether this was... This was a point of care or whether it was the POC, the longer, more conclusive test. Whichever one it was, test comes back early afternoon. You're in the clear, Nick. You know, you've had three consecutive days of negative testing, so you can coach. So, Mike, listen, all I can say is I started to do the math on Trevor Lawrence when I heard this last night, and then I heard about the 10-day thing. Okay, so I, I don't I don't know anything about when you first feel symptoms or anything like that. But it's definitely possible for him if he tests negative on Saturday morning on the 10th day, it's very possible for him just to get in. How many private jets do you think the Clemson football program has at its instant disposal? Probably quite a few of them. Be what, an hour and a half from Clemson to South Bend and private plane? You know, he can have a nice little breakfast, nice little team meal on the way, walks out, and here comes Superman to uh, quarterback against the fight in Irish. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, and I hate to be so cynical about it, but we've seen this time and again, especially when it comes to college football. They're going to get these guys on the field. There isn't that broader sense of order and limitations and regulations that the NFL has in place for its franchises. The NFL isn't going to hesitate to say to various guys, you're not available all week to practice or for the game. And if it creates a competitive disadvantage, so be it. 
our primary commitment is to keep this virus out of our facilities and away from people that it could harm. College football has found a way to justify playing this game of multiple negative tests or right up against the deadline, whatever the deadline may be, all under the guise of this argument that, and this is when the the tide started to turn in favor of college football happening, this idea that the players are somehow safer if they are having football practice in games and they're in that structure because otherwise they'd be out in the community with the rest of us who are at risk every day. Well, Trevor Lawrence still got it. Plenty of guys are still getting it. Now, maybe there's an alternate universe where there was no college football this year and the guys who are playing and coaching are getting it at a greater rate. But that that argument, when the most prominent guy in college football and one of the best draft draft prospects since uh, Andrew Luck gets it, 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 it kind of undercuts the argument that playing college football makes these guys somehow safer. They're at risk wherever they are, whether they're playing college football or not. But it worked. It got college football back, even though college football clearly is having a harder time, Peter, than the NFL keeping it all together. I think they're having a harder time because there's two reasons. Number one, their tw- kids are 20 years old. Why does however many people at the University of Wisconsin – including evidently what at the, the top two or three quarterbacks on the team all test positive. It's because, you know, they don't have the same pounded into your head every single day that the NFL has. And the NFL even slips up, uh, you know, even though they're, they're, they've been, I think, by almost all stretches, ridiculously good at not having guys test positive. But I think the biggest thing right now when it comes to Trevor Lawrence and all of these college players is that unless they are told at the end of the day that you go back to your apartment. I read last night that Trevor Lawrence lives alone. You go back to your apartment, have no contact with anybody. I'm just not sure it's realistic when you're talking to kids who are in college, Mike, if they don't have a literal bubble to go home to that you're going to have a very pure season. I think you're going to have these little conflagrations, these little brush fires for as long as they try to play college football. And there's a very simple reason for why that is, Peter. It, it, it boils down to the way that people that age are wired. And even though it was a long time ago for both of us, I can still vividly recall how I felt when I was that age. And there's an inherent selfishness to being 19, 20, 21. You want to do the things that you want to do. And when there are so many damn mixed messages out there about what's appropriate and what's not appropriate in our society, the people who want to do the selfish thing don't need to go very far to find vindication and justification to do the selfish thing, whether it's it's all a hoax, it's all going to go away the day after the election, masks don't work, whatever you want to justify doing what you want to do, 19, 20, and 21-year-olds are susceptible to that. It's no different than the little kid who asks mom if he can do something, and mom says no. So he goes and he asks dad. And if dad says yes, good to go. And with something like this, you've got one parent saying no and the other parent saying yes, so the kids just listen to the one who's saying yes, period. That's why it's such a problem among kids that age, because there's enough out there where they can say, it's okay to do this. It's okay to do the things I want to do, and that's why college football is. And they're not getting paid either. Their paychecks aren't at risk like they are in the NFL. That's one of the reasons the NFL is holding it together. The players understand, at least I hope they do, that if games get canceled or suspended, they're not getting paid. For college players, it doesn't matter. Yeah, At the end of the day, this is it's unfortunate for Trevor Lawrence and – Look, in the, <clears throat> in the very unlikely event that he would become seriously ill uh, with this, but you don't know because there are stories of, uh, you know, 18, 20, 22-year-old people who get the coronavirus, who become extremely ill and or die. But, but again, you, you know, Trevor Lawrence, uh, this, this probably, you know, on his way to the NFL – will be a blip on the radar screen. It's a huge story today, but it's not going to have anything to do with what happens to either his draft status or probably not going to have anything to do with how far Clemson goes this year unless, obviously, he has more serious 
symptoms and this lingers for a long time. What it does is a practical matter. It pushes down the stack the other big story from this week regarding Trevor Lawrence. He made those equivocal comments about going pro or coming back to Clemson, and it sparked this discussion of whether or not he would just look at the standings, look at the draft order, and say, see you next year, NFL. I ain't playing for the Jets. Well, Dabo Swinney, the coach of Clemson, from earlier in the day before any of this news got out, he addressed the possibility of Trevor Lawrence either coming back for another year or going pro. Here's Coach Swinney. I'm going to save a scholarship for him just in case. Uh, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not real worried about it. Uh, you know, he, he ain't worried about it either. He, he's He's got one thing on his mind, and that's that's leading the Tigers and having a great season uh, this year. And we'll certainly let him stay if that's what he wants to do. But I'd be surprised if he's, if he's back with the Tigers next year. But who knows? You never know. You never know. You never know. And look, Peter, you and I, I have doubt he's about got this. one thing on his mind. By the way, yeah. Well, well, that's that's true. Um, but uh, one thing on again. Those th- those th- those comments were before he found. And you know what, though, as of yesterday afternoon, if the timeline has any credence that they're trying to engineer to let him come back, when Swinney said that yesterday, Swinney knew that Lawrence was COVID positive, so he at least has two things on his mind. But Peter, you and I haven't discussed this. Look, I think that if he has any misgivings about throwing himself into the draft pool for 2021, I I think before you go back and play another year at Clemson, what you do is you just sit out the whole year altogether and reenter the draft pool in 2022 because you're still not going to get paid. Your draft stock isn't going to get any higher, and you get to roll the dice again. But the problem is, barring a trade, the team at the top of the draft order is there for one very important reason. It sucks. So you're always going to be faced with that. Joe Burrow was faced with that. And you and I both know Joe Burrow at least contemplated the possibility of trying to work the system and get the, but it's too hard to do. You make too many people upset. At some point, you just have to submit. You're going to get $40 million fully guaranteed, and you submit, and you just hope that coaching staff, front office, teammates there's enough there to allow you to flourish and so far in Cincinnati I don't know the answer to that question because it looks like Burrow's the only good thing they have going other than Joe Mixon but I think Peter at some point Trevor Lawrence just has to accept I'm never going to escape this unless I sit out two full years Mike the you know the bad thing for Trevor Lawrence is that he's so good and very very rarely does somebody at the top of the draft at the very top of the draft enter a situation where it's possible to turn it around pretty quickly. Uh, You know, obviously Andrew Luck did in Indianapolis because they were down for a couple of years, but had some good talent. And, and, And again, I'm just reminded when you look at all this of how fortunate Patrick Mahomes was that the Kansas City Chiefs and Andy Reid and Brett Veach fell in love with him and used a lot of draft capital to move up, I think, from, what, 27 to 10 uh, with Buffalo to get that pick because that just simply does not happen very often. And just as Lamar Jackson was fortunate to be the 32nd pick or whatever he was, just as he was fortunate to be picked that low, that's it's the opposite end of the spectrum. You want to be the greatest guy. I hear guys every year saying... Oh my God, it was my dream to be the first pick in the draft. Why? Other than the exaltation and the and the history, and on your Wikipedia page, it'll say you were the first pick of the draft. Big deal. You know, just really big deal. And you're much better off to either have your star tarnished a little bit coming out of college football so that you can go to a little bit of a lesser team or to have a really good coach and a good organization fall in love with you and trade up. Unfortunately, I don't think anybody's going to be able to do that with Trevor Lawrence, but it's like you look at it, Mike. Okay, what would you rather do? Would you rather be on the New York Jets in 2021 or go back and be with, pick a team, the Jacksonville Jaguars in 2022? It, it Does it really matter? Do you have a lot more faith in Jacksonville to be a playoff team in 2024 than you do the New York Jets? 
I mean, and, and you might. I don't know. Maybe Nick Saban becomes the coach of the Jaguars. I don't know. But the fact is, you know, these guys who are truly great transcendent college players are basically slapped in the face when they come to the NFL uh, because they're going to go to a bad team and they're going to get the crap beat out of them for a while and maybe for their whole career. Archie Manning did. Joe Burrow is right now. There's a, a factor that we're overlooking, and I'm disappointed I hadn't thought of this sooner because we're very aware of it when it comes to player contracts, veteran player contracts. If the salary cap is only $175 million next year, that will affect the formulas that determine how much rookies make. So, you know, I mentioned $40 million fully guaranteed over four years. Well, that's the track it was on because Burrow got around $36 million and it goes up every year because the cap goes up. Peter, that cap goes down. That four-year fully guaranteed contract, if you start with 2021 with a salary cap of 175, that's not going to be the same dollars as maybe if you wait until 2022 when the pandemic is cleared, assuming that it does clear, assuming that full stadiums are permissible next year for the NFL. And at this point, who the hell knows? But that's a factor for Lawrence that wasn't there for any of the others, because the bottom line is you're going to get what you're going to get from whoever it is. Your financial package is going to be the same as the top pick. This is going to be the first time that financial package shrinks. So, again, it's just a factor because maybe if you do sit out a year, you get more next year, and maybe next year you feel better about where you're going to go. But like you said, it's always going to be the worst team. Unless somebody trades up, it's going to be the worst team. And when you're such a great prospect, what's going to happen is what happened with the Bengals and Joe Burrow. They're going to ignore all offers. They're not going to care. Whatever the Dolphins wanted to give them, they weren't listening. They're taking the guy. And whoever has that first pick, whoever earns that first pick, whether it's next year or the year after, they're going to take Trevor Lawrence. Mike, I think the one factor that you're glossing over in this particular case is that the vast majority of people who I've spoken to in the NFL think that this cratering of the cap for 2021 is not a one-year phenomenon. It's going to be not a lot higher in 2022, most likely. So if, for, if anybody who's advising Trevor Lawrence says, geez, it's only going to be $32 million over four years, or, or whatever, pick a number, I don't know. Uh, next year, it really could be a lot higher. Well, next year, it might be a million dollars higher. It's not, it's not worth uh, affecting your decision. Uh, if you decide to go back, decide to go back, either because you don't want to play for the Jets or, or whoever has the number one pick or not. But I don't think the finances are going to be a whole lot different in 22 than 21, unless, unless, unless the TV contracts get signed uh, and yes. there is an absolute total pot of gold that pushes it from 175 to 230 in the first in the first year of the new TV deals. But I think that's problematic too. That's a whole nother subject, but I think that's problematic as well. Well, well I, Peter, I think we can agree. We don't know where it's going in 2022. We know where it's going in 2021, and that's down the crapper. Yeah. 2022, it's going to go up. The question is how far does it go up, but it's going to be better in 2022. Again, it's just a factor to consider that no number one overall pick has had to consider in the past. And I mentioned earlier, and let's be clear on this. You can avoid the draft altogether if you sit out two full years. Nobody's ever going to sit out two full years. No college football, no pro football for two years. And even then, you would, you would be an undrafted rookie free agent, and there would be limitations on what they could pay you for the first few years, and you would never get that pot of gold, however big or small it may be, until you get yourself in line for your second contract. So, you know, as much as I love to see a John Elway or an Eli Manning story where a guy stands up and makes a power play, uh, it's hard to do by way of sitting out. Now, Peter, and we need to take a break after this, but we can't rule out the possibility of Trevor Lawrence just simply making it known, I don't want to play for the Jets. I don't want to play for the Jaguars. I'm not, I just don't want to do it. And I'm making it known I don't want to do it. Now, again, it's not the easiest thing in the world to pull off, but Though on the rare occasions when guys try to do it, it's worked. It has. And let's just say for the sake of argument, and how ironic would this be? 
let's just say for the sake of argument that Trevor Lawrence says, I'm not playing for the Jets. I'm coming out, but if they draft me, I'm not showing up. And how ironic would it be if the Denver Broncos call the Jets and offer them four ones for that first pick in the draft? And John Elway becomes <laughs> the mentor to, <laughs> to one of the great college quarterbacks to come out since John Elway. Well, and you know, they're already saying that Arch Manning is going to pick his spot with, uh, with Archie leading the way as he did for Eli, making it known where Arch doesn't want to play in six or seven years when he makes it to the NFL. So, you know, players have a lot more leverage when they realize, especially the guys at the very top, and maybe Lawrence is going to figure that out. Maybe that's the best play. Not go back to Clemson, not sit out a year. Just use your leverage. And don't be afraid of the criticism you may get because there's going to be people who support you. I know I will because I think more and more guys should recognize that, that they shouldn't just blindly walk into this process because you could end up with a bad coach, bad owner, bad front office, bad teammates, and your career gets derailed. And you never even had really much of a chance, and we see how it is in today's NFL. If you don't pick it up quickly, you're gone. All right, we're gone for just a couple of seconds. Speaking of first-round draft picks, a guy who a year ago was expected to be the first overall pick, Tua Tonga-Vailoa. He gets his first start. We'll talk about that when PFT Live continues right after Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Losing is not acceptable in this locker room. In this county, in this state, in this area, in this region. So Cameron Newton, you need to pick your expletive up. That's what I've learned. Cam Newton, understanding how it is in New England, Peter, uh, you know, I, I like the self-awareness. I like the response to adversity because we've had concerns in the past about how Cam Newton handles adversity. He's not going and hiding under the bed. He's not throwing in the towel. He's ready to turn it around, and he knows what's expected. And, you know, we're going to find out if that translates to acceptable performance this weekend. You know, I've gained a real appreciation, uh, not that I – thought ill of Cam Newton. I didn't, uh, but I gained a real appreciation of Cam Newton this year because he understands that this is not about him. You know, he understands that this is about the greatest sports franchise of the 21st century. In the first 20 years of the 21st century, the New England Patriots, he came to be the steward taking over for the greatest quarterback, many people think, of all time. And he understands when he is mucking it up out there, so to speak, and playing lousy, he understands that it's not acceptable, it shouldn't be acceptable, and it's his fault. 
And, and again, look, we can talk about fault all you want, but the New England Patriots, you know, who were bad in the last half of 2019 with Tom Brady are worse in the first half of 2020 without Tom Brady. And that doesn't provide any comfort to Cam Newton and good for him. Because even though they might have the worst offensive weaponry in all of the NFL, and everybody will say, oh my God, don't, I mean, what about the Jaguars? What is there a DJ Chark on the New England Patriots? No. No. There isn't. There's, there, is the, there is a terrible set, of, collectively, set of skill players on the New England Patriots. And, you know, in, and if anybody wants to say, oh my God, that's blasphemous. Well, prove it to me. Prove it to me that, that they, are, they are capable of winning a big game with explosive offensive plays not made by the legs of the quarterback. Prove to me that one of those tight ends can play that you drafted in the third round or that in Keel Harry is not a bust or that Julian Edelman has something left. I mean, and again, I'm not trying to be cruel. I'm trying to be realistic. You know, but Cam Newton is going to bear the brunt of that. And and all I can say is, Mike, I, I feel for him. But when he took this job, he had to know what he was getting into. Yeah, and Julian Edelman, it was obvious that something wasn't right with his knee. And now he's out for some period of time after having a procedure right. on the knee. Mike Reese of ESPN.com had a tweet within the last week or so pointing out that the Patriots receivers are the worst in the league at gaining separation. So there's only so much any quarterback can do when the receivers aren't good enough. And the practical trade deadline has come and gone. It's not like they've gone out and traded for another receiver. And they probably are a little careful about doing that, Peter, after sending a third-round pick last year to the Falcons for Mohamed Sanu, and that ended up being a, a waste of a third-round pick. pick. A second-round second pick, pick, that's right. It was a third-round that yeah. the 49ers sent to the Broncos for Emmanuel Sanders, and they got half a year out of him before he walked away. The Patriots sent the second-rounder to the Falcons for Mohamed Sanu and got a half year of not much of anything before sending him packing. So it's a weird time in New England, and all the signs are pointing to... This is it. You got to go to Buffalo. What a this is the first time this has been the vibe around the Patriots when they play the Bills. That the Bills should win and the Patriots are on the ropes. And the question is, can the Bills punch them through? And my guess is that Buffalo fans, although they're feeling a little bravado about this, they're probably very nervous because the Terminator isn't dead until the Terminator is completely and totally and absolutely and unequivocally dead. And I would not turn my back on that puddle of goo that could reform into the Terminator if I were the Buffalo Bills. And, you know, there's another angle to this, Peter. There's a report from Albert Breer yesterday of SI.com that the Patriots have made it known that they'll listen to offers for almost anyone on the roster. Now, first of all, I think any team would listen to roster or offers for almost anyone on the roster. That's what you do. You don't hang up the phone. There's only a handful of guys in the league you just laugh and hang up the phone for if someone calls and makes you a trade offer. But I just I wonder whether this is some weird motivational tactic by Bill Belichick to get this word out, to try to get everyone as motivated and focused and determined as Cam Newton. Because there were the comments earlier this week from Matthew Slater that the attitude and the effort was lacking against the 49ers. And, and if that's true, that, that's got to be driving Bill Belichick crazy. Look, you know, Mike, remember a year ago, when the Patriots went to Buffalo and Tom Brady was as despondent after a win, after I think they beat the Bills 16 to 10, as despondent after a win as anybody I've ever seen. You know, he was almost bitter after that game. And to think now, if the Patriots went to Buffalo, played lousy on offense, but somehow found a way to win 16 to 10, they'd have a parade. You know, down Route 1 in Foxborough, you know, but that's how that's how much has changed in a year. But I think you're right. Um, any team that's worth its salt is going to listen to every trade offer. If somebody calls you and offers you, uh, let's say a really good team calls you and offers you a one uh, for Stefan Gilmore, I mean, you have to take it. No questions asked. Because you've got to do major surgery. Most teams do. 
you've got to do surgery to your salary cap anyway. So why not just take a one for, I don't know, what's Gilmore, 30 years old? Uh, why not take a one for a guy who's 30 years old who you have gotten the prime of his life and, you know, who has helped you win huge games? Uh, so that's that's kind of how I would look at it if I were uh, New England right now. Yeah, move on one year too early instead of one year too late. That's something Bill Belichick's always done. The Dolphins moved on from Ryan Fitzpatrick to Tua Tonga-Vailoa. He gets his first start this weekend. Congratulations. Condolences. It's against Aaron Donald and the Rams. Here's Tua from earlier in the week talking about his first NFL start. Well, I think my leadership plan is just to be the same <laughs> the same Tua I've always been. I. You know, I don't got to go out yelling at guys. That's that's just not the way I lead. Um, I'm, you know, I'm just going to be me, how I am on the sideline, how I am off the field. I mean, it's pretty much how I'm going to be on the field. You know, there there might be certain instances where, you know, we, we might get into it a little bit with the receivers or, you know, the linemen. But, I mean, everyone's just so competitive here. That's that's just the nature of, of how the game goes sometimes. You know, Peter, this is a gravy game for Tua and the Dolphins. Nobody's expecting them to beat the Rams. If they do, great. And Brian Flores, his last game with the Patriots, was part of a defensive game plan that shut down the Rams' offense. So maybe they can slow the Rams down enough and have a shot. But whatever happens in this game, as long as he emerges healthy, that's a win for the Dolphins as they move forward with their new starter. I, I agree, Mike. And, and again, much has been said and, uh, you know, the internet has been populated with, uh, did Flores make a panic move? Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick got screwed, blah, 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 blah. Look, the bottom line is very simple. You drafted this guy to be your long-term quarterback and to be a different quarterback than Ryan Fitzpatrick is because he is different. And it looks like he's going to have a successful career if he can survive the abuse that his hip is going to take. So let's put all that to the side and let's just say for a second, look at the way he plays football and look at him getting out on the edge. He's not going to be a sitting duck for Aaron Donald. I like Miami's chances in this game, Mike. Yeah, you know, I kind of do too, just because as I said, it's, it's everything to gain and nothing to lose as long as he emerges from this game healthy. All right, we got to take a break. A full hour of PFT Live still to come. We'll be back right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 